You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Happy New Year, everybody. You know, if you haven't checked out the Producers Perspective Pro, now is a great time to do it. Lots of things on there to help you with your New Year's theatrical resolutions. The ProducersPerspectivePro.com just revamped. Check it out. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kentdavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendabimport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. I am Ken Davenport. Today, we're lucky to be here with one of the best director choreographers in the business and one of the busiest in the business as well. As we were just talking about off microphone, please welcome two-time Tony Award winner, Mr. Jerry Mitchell. Welcome, Jerry. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So and I love your watch. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's the watch that Kinky Boots bought. Yes. So just a few of uh, the credits of Mr. Mitchell's Kinky Boots. Yes, thank you very much for the watch and for many more. I'm legally Blonde, On Your Feet, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Hairspray, and where I first met him on my second job in the business the Weissler production of Greece in 1993, <laughs> four. So let's go way back. I mean, you have way too many credits for me to list right now. How did you get started in this business? Where did it all begin for you? Well, I grew up in, as everyone knows, in Papa, Michigan, because I always say that. It is kind of a funny name for a town, isn't it? Grew up there. I was lucky enough to have a dance studio and a community village playhouse in town which I got involved in when I was like eight and 10 years old. And I just kept working and grew up there. Then I went to, then I did a lot of, a lot of regional theater in the area. I went to the Hope Summer Repertory Theater as a, in Holland, Michigan, as an apprentice while I was still in high school. I toured with the Young Americans my senior year in high school in West Side Story. I went to Webster University, Webster College at the time, in the conservatory program, which is where I got my equity card at the Muni Opera, I did a commercial, made some money, came to New York for the very first time, auditioned for Agnes DeMille, got Brigadoon, and I came to New York and then never left. <laughs> Just kept doing Broadway shows. How many Broadway shows did you do as a performer? I did Brigadoon, Barnum, Woman of the Year, On Your Toes. I did the national tour of A Chorus Line and the last show, Will Rogers Follies. And then I assisted and was associate on Grease and Scandal, which never came to Broadway, and Chess, the original production in London, which again, I started with Michael Bennett and then he left. So there were a lot of shows I worked on before I became a director choreographer. So where did you first have the idea that, oh, you know what? This dancing stuff is great, and you were very good at it because I saw you half naked in Will Rogers Falls yes. uh, on that drum. <laughs> but when did you first get the idea that maybe I, I want to be on the other side of the table here? Well, I always did it, right? I, I choreographed and directed all the way back to that village playhouse in Pawpaw, Michigan when I was 14. One of the senior members of the company when I was 14 offered me the chance to direct and choreograph Aesop's Fallibles, which was a musical. And I said yes, and I got my musical director from a girl who played the piano in my high school, Diane Garston, and my best friend, Amy Firestone's a star in it. And we put on the show. It was a big success. It ran for like five weekends. And I choreographed the shows at school. I choreographed the pom-pom girls. I choreographed, and I choreographed all through college. 
And I then I started to assist choreographers in, in other productions, but I was always dancing. But it was when I was working with Donald Sadler and doing Balanchine's choreography in On Your Toes, I was 23, and I remember the moment, I actually remember the moment, John Malcheri was the conductor, and there was a problem with one of the musical numbers. We didn't quite have the idea. And you know how everybody, everybody's got an idea. I just happened to be at the right party at the right time. And I told John my idea. And John told it to Donald Sadler. And then Donald Sadler, the next day in rehearsal, asked me about my idea. And my idea ended up being in the production. And it was actually, it made the number better. And we choreographed it. And Dirk Lombard was associate to Donald Sadler. And, and I thought, wow, that's my idea right there. We kind of put that on stage and it's in the show. The show was very successful as a revival. McCarver won the Tony. Uh, Donald, I think, might have won the Tony. or He was certainly nominated. It might have won Best Revival. I don't remember. But I remember that moment of thinking, oh, you know, I really should focus more on my choreography and my associate work so I can become a choreographer and eventually a director. That was what I wanted to do. But I was 23. Was it hard to step out at that time from the chorus and say, okay, guys, I know I'm just kicking my it, leg up high. But... It really wasn't for me because I was lucky enough to, at that same time, while I was in On Your Toes, I had done, I'd already done the national tour of a chorus line and I knew Bob Adian very well. I didn't know Michael as well, Michael Bennett, but Michael and Bob asked me to join them for a industrial for Jane Fonda fashion wear. If you remember, Jane Fonda had the aerobics thing and she made a whole line of, well, Theoni Aldrich designed a whole line of fashion outfits. Michael put on in a, a fashion show for Jane Fonda at the Schubert Theater, where the of course line was still playing with, I was in the chorus, Cynthia Rubia was in the chorus, Danny Herman was in the chorus, B.B. Newarth was in the chorus. I mean, this was like everybody in New York who was like a dancer and like we were kicking our legs for Jane Fonda. And Michael pulled me out and he gave Jody Mocha and I a solo. And then he said, after the industrial was done, he said, look, I'm working on this new musical scandal and I like what I created for the two of you. I'd like you to join me working on this new musical. So we started the whole scandal workshop process, which was a year of work with Michael at 890 Broadway, when 890 was the place to be. We basically lived there for a year and worked on this new musical. And then he made us associate choreographers. And so I sort of had pretty much left dancing at that time. Even though I was dancing in the, those workshops, I was really focusing. Then I flew with Michael and Bob Adian to London on the Concord to cast chess which Michael was going to do. And then Michael got sick and then that ended. And then Bob and I went back to London and I assisted Bob on Cameron McIntosh's Follies with Diana Rigg and Julian McKenzie. I came back to New York the day I landed. I went to 892 audition for Jerry Robbins with every other dance captain in town to be his associate and assistant for Jerome Robbins Broadway. There were 40 of the greatest dancers in New York in that room. I felt humbled to be in that room. And the next day I get a phone call from Jerry Robbins. He says, will you come dance with me? And it literally, the next six months of my life was Jerry Robbins calling me at nine in the morning. Can you come dance with me today? I had no contract. He would just call me up and say, can you come dance with me today? And then uh, Manny Eisenberg, of course, said, we need to put these guys on a contract now. You've tested them out enough. 
and we got a weekly contract and we started working with him on Jerome Robbins Broadway. So I was into it. I was choreographing. That was it. Jerry Robbins, Michael Bennett, you've worked with you know, yeah. the best of the best at that time. Best piece of advice you ever got from any of them or one thing that you learned from them that you still think about to this day? I, I got a I got there's so many there's so many instances when I'm in the middle of a something and I think something and then a Jerry or a Michael Bennett moment comes back and I go, Oh yeah, I know what to do. I never worked with Fosse. I remember a moment from Robbins when I was doing Jerome Robbins Broadway. The show had opened and I was associate, so I was there maintaining the show. I think there was a cast of 60 plus in the show. So there were a lot of kids calling out, obviously. we It was the first time a show ever employed a physical therapist. Sean Gallagher came on board because Jerry knew him from City Ballet. He and Marika Molnair took care of everyone at City Ballet. Jerry brought him on board to take care of the Broadway company and keep kids in the show. But I think we had like 12 swings, 10 or 12 swings. And I made this list of who was who. And I was doing this list every night because, you know, certain people were out. We went across to the Paramount, which was, there was a little diner there. It's not there anymore. And I bought him some coffee and a soup before the show. And I said to him, look, I've just been asked to choreograph my first Broadway show. It's supposed to come to Broadway. It was Jekyll and Hyde at the Alley Theater, 10 years before it appeared on Broadway. And then I was going to do another musical called Heart's Desire at the Cleveland Playhouse. So I had two contracts as a choreographer. And he said to me, he said, go. He said, go do do the shows, choreograph the shows. He said, no need to stick around here. We'll make sure the show runs. He said, you go do the shows. He said, if you need a job, if those shows fail, you can always come back here. I will make sure you have a job. And that was unbelievable to hear from him. That was one. The reason I brought up Fosse was because as I became a choreographer, I watched a lot of stuff. And I remember an interview I saw with Fosse on PBS. And I don't remember what it was. It was I think it was PBS. It could have been on anything. But he said something about the trickiest part of being a good choreographer is being able to get the idea in my head, out of my head and on the stage. And when I heard him and he said something about, I, I have to stop editing myself and get it up first the way I think I see it in my head. And once I see it, I can begin to edit it and shape it and make it better. And I thought, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Stop editing yourself. And so that was a piece of advice that has stuck with me to this day, because, you know, when you're in the rehearsal room creating something, get it up there, start it, begin it, give it a beginning, a middle and end, look at it, and then start doing what you do, what any writer does. I saw Terrence McNally take a monologue that was three pages long and turn it into Comic Gold, which was about a paragraph long when we were doing Full Monty. And I thought, if he can do that with writing, I can do that with staff. So it's a process, you know. That brings me to perfectly to my next question, which is your your process specifically. So I hire you to do a musical called Podcast the Musical. I give you <laughs> I give you a script. It's very boring. I give you a script and you have a, some demos or something. What's the first thing you do as a choreographer? And then I'm going to ask you what's the first thing you do as a director. So you can I want to see the difference. Well, the I the first thing I do as a as a as a choreographer is if I'm if I'm smart is I don't listen to the music because if the story doesn't register with me I'll never be able to tell it right so I read it first and I've learned to turn off the music when somebody sends me a musical I read it first 
because I, I read the, the book and the lyrics because it has to make sense to me, the story, or I have to see something about the story that actually makes me want to tell it because I can get seduced by music very easily. Now, the most important thing in a musical ultimately is the score to me, but it's the thing that, the, it's the thing that can lead me astray quickly. I can fall in love with the music and say, well, but this, the music is so good that I can fix all the rest. But you really are making an uphill battle for yourself. You know, it's better to have a great story and then go, oh my God, this music is great. Or half of this music is great, right? I'm working on a project now, which I will not name, which, you know, some young authors gave me a script and a, and a score. And I read it first and I loved the story. And then I listened to the music and I thought, there are three songs in here that are as good as anything I've ever heard. And that was enough to make me want to do this musical. And we've been working on making it better and making it better. And I think it's getting really strong and really good. And does that differ from when you look at something through the director's lens? Or is it the well, same process? Well, you, know, you asked me, a, you, it, that question was sort of a double-edged sword because I don't consider myself one or the other. You know, it's kind of like what's great about a director-choreographer, hopefully, is the seamlessness quality to their work. It's the thing about musicals that's so hard when you have two people doing the job, are they on the same page? Are they telling the same story? Lots of directors and choreographers, individuals work together and they collaborate beautifully and you can't tell where one one's work stops and the others picks up. That's what makes it magnificent, you know. Is that why we've look Bennett, Fosse, Mitchell, we've had many Oh, don't put me in that type that category. Thank you, but I'm don't. going to. Sorry. Too Thank bad. Thank you, but don't. Too bad. But this industry has birthed some the most successful directors we have have been director choreographers. Is that why? I think so. I think so. I think a ship is always easier when there's one captain leading it. Or And, you know, Mike Bennett also said one thing to me I will never forget. He said, human rights have crept into the theater. And just think about that line for one moment. You know, I was raised by these dictators. You know, I met... Michael Bennett and Michael Bennett said blue and everybody in the room, everything turned blue. And Jerry Robbins said nine o'clock. And guess what? Equity changed the rehearsal period. And we all came at 930 and took dance class, took ballet bar for one hour at 930 because Jerry Robbins said, that's what we're going to do. So I've watched, I, 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 I had this whole period where I was in the dance belt version of theater, which is director Discipline, 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 discipline. Then I met Jack O'Brien. And Jack O'Brien was a director who allowed everyone's input, who allowed all of the people in the room to have a have a investment in the final product. And it was through his humanity that I learned, oh, there's another way to direct and choreograph musicals, which is taking the actor's instincts and using those instincts to help the story and watching Jack work versus Michael and Jerry Robbins was like two different, you know, planets. And I think they're both equally as important today in theater because I think you have to be, you have to be very diplomatic in getting everyone on board and having everyone head in the right direction. It's so funny you say that because I look at my own career as a company manager, general manager, person, producer, and I was raised 
buy some toughies. Yeah. Some yeah. real, from real dictator like, or this is the way it should be. And there are, you know, no foot gray areas. And then I changed and I look back at how I was and I was like, I can't believe I was like that. Were you before the, in, you know, BJ, if you will, before Jack, did you find if you look oh, back, yeah. like I was, I oh, was yeah. Bennett like and too tough? I was, and... I was very much stuck in the world of discipline and dance as opposed to the possibility of screwing up and finding something good. You know, it's, it's true. Yeah. You, yeah, absolutely. We're all products of our fathers and our mothers and our teachers, right? So, so you take all of that information and then you create your own sort of path once you graduate. And so I kind of, you know, I'm always graduating. Look, I just finished the hairspray live thing in California, which is the first time I've done a live multi-camera production. You know, Alex and, and Kenny, brilliant collaboration and work, but I stepped away from it going, oh my God, I've learned so much about this process that I didn't really know. I've done film before. I've done live TV before with Rosie with like four cameras in the studio, but I hadn't done indoor, outdoor, 14 cameras. You know, what, what that show, you know, the meat of that show. And it was just, it was a wonderful experience to thrive in that community of people and working with 700 people behind the scenes trying to make that show happen. And it was terrific, by the way. I felt like I was watching it in 3D. Those kids were like jumping yeah, off the screen. It was, I had so much fun choreographing in proscenium and non-proscenium numbers. It was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed it. Okay. The first of uh, one of my James Lipton-like questions. I want you to imagine <laughs> the Smithsonian calls you and says, Jerry, we have room in our institute for just one of your numbers. One of your numbers to forever preserve to represent your work. Of all the shows you've done, which would you pick? I don't know for sure, but maybe everybody say yeah from Kinky Boots, Act One finale. Because it has a lot of the joy that the Mark and Scott's incredible number of You Can't Stop the Beat has. It has a lot of the athleticism that the Jump Rope number in Legally Blonde has, which I love. But it it's also something that was created from nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. There was no song there. There was no nothing there. And we, and hopefully in presenting in the Smithsonian, you would get the whole story, not just the number. How it came to be, how we, how we created it, how we developed the treadmill based on the OK Go videos that I saw the first time I turned on YouTube. You know, how, how art influences, art influences, art, and you come up with something like that. That every time I've seen this production number in, Eight companies now, seven companies now, the eighth one will be this summer in Germany, in German, that the same response happens. That literally the audience screams until the lights come up for the end of the first act. So they can't all be everybody say, yeah, big hits. No, in this they can't. Business. <laughs> How do you deal with it when a show doesn't work? Does it Ooh. put you down for a while? Sometimes. I mean, you know. I don't know who said it, but I think it might have been Hal Prince. So the best thing you can do to protect yourself is start rehearsal on your new show the day your old show opens or your last show opens. So, you know, we're all, I'm a workhorse. We're all workhorses. We love what we do and we're fortunate enough to be doing it. So I have a lot of projects and, you know, I'm always thinking about the next thing, creating the next thing. You know, Catch Me If You Can 
was one of those shows for me. Uh, Never Gonna Dance was one of those shows for me. If you look back at the choreography, I was the choreographer of both of those shows. I'm so proud of the work that I created in both of those shows. You know, maybe they'd be second runner-up to Smithsonian, maybe the dance on the beams and Never Gonna Dance and certainly Don't Break the Rules with Norbert Leo Butts and Catch Me If You Can. You know, those are those are numbers that I that's that's where I live. Those are the kind of numbers that I do. And it's it's sad when they don't get to be shared with more people. I'm a big fan of the basketball number in Full Monty. Yeah, myself. what about that number? Oh I mean, shit, maybe that one. Oh sorry. Sorry, sorry everybody say yeah, you can't be there. It's the basketball number. <laughs> There does seem to be a type of show you like to do when we think about Full Monty, Hairspray, Legally Blonde, Dirty Rotten, Kinky Boots. I mean, there is a definite happy, joy. positive joy. Hope. That was Michael Bennett. Michael, Michael loves shows that left audiences with hope. But I think, in truth, it's sort of the job of every Broadway musical. It's what Broadway musicals have in common. It may not be as apparent at the end of a musical, but basically... Musicals are there to teach us that there's hope, you know, there's real hope. People, a lot of people, I think, think you choreograph a show, you put it up, you direct a show, you put it up, and then you go away and you never touch that show again. <laughs> he laughs. That's just the beginning, right? It's obviously not like a movie. How the, do you keep, The curse of a hit. How yeah. do you keep all of these plates a spinning? You were telling well, me earlier about if, all the shows. If a show done. is successful, you surround yourself with a team of people who can help you keep that success at the highest quality you can possibly keep it. So, you know, on Kinky Boots, I have Rusty Maui and D.B. Bonds in the United States who go everywhere. I have Dom Shaw and Darren Carnell in the U.K. who take care of the U.K. company. So each company, the tours have dance captains, but Rusty and D.B. pretty much oversee everything. And... That happened with Hairspray. I had Danny Austin working with me on Hairspray and a lot of versions. Matt Lenz for Jack, Michelle Lynch. You surround yourself, Greg Graham, who just did, and Brooke, who just did a television show with me. You surround yourself with people who can come as close to your interpretation as possible, knowing that they're going to be the ones sharing it, right? So it's a copy of a copy, right? It's, you know, Robin's, I remember being in the room with Robbins and I was teaching, I was, I was showing him a combination that I had lifted off a video or something for Jerome Robbins Broadway. And he scolded me saying, do not do that. If you teach them that way, they will, it'll take me six months to unteach them. And, and he was talking about this pantomime ballet, which by the way, was why I did the number in, in Full Monty because I had learned this number, this pantomime ballet number from Jerry Robbins. I didn't know it at the time, but then I thought, I've just done what he did. I did a number based on pantomime. I had learned this number in Jerome Robbins and I was demonstrating it to him and I had brought my dog to work that day. He loved dogs. Jerry loved dogs. He had a box of milk bones on his office desk at City Ballet. He had dogs. He loved dogs. So I brought my dog because you could bring your dog when we were just doing reconstruction work and Charlie Blackwell God bless him was the stage manager so he done the leash under the stage manager's table my dog was lying there golden retriever pokey and I did the ballet and I and I fell to the floor dying drinking poison it was his uh, dreams come true ballet and Jerry Robbins went oh no stop 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 that's terrible 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 not quite that nice and he and it was all imaginary and I had a glass in my hand which was imaginary he grabbed the imaginary glass out of my hand and said here let me show you that and he demonstrated how to die by drinking the poison. 
And Scott Fowler, by the way, is the accompanist. Yes, Scott Fowler's playing over there. That's Scott Fowler, that Tony Award winning Scott Fowler or whatever. He's he's playing the he's the company playing music. And Jerry does this magnificent death scene and falls to the floor dead. And my dog lifts up his head and he goes, my dog whimpered at the death. And I thought, well, he even convinced my dog. (laughs) And that's commitment. (laughs) You've obviously been working here on Broadway for a long time. What's the biggest change you've seen over the past few decades? Sound. Sound is the biggest change. When I did my first Broadway show, nobody wore a head mic. There were foot mics. I think I think actually Meg Bussert and Martin Vindovic had head mics as principals, but no one in the ensemble wore a head mic. They were all foot mics and you had to project and sing your part and it was picked up by a foot mic. And sound has sound has changed the experience, the theatrical experience. And I and and for the better in a lot of ways. You know, not not for the worse, but it's changed that is the biggest technic the technical aspect is what's changed the most. The songs and the dances and the stories and the proscenium is still the same proscenium. The seats are still the same seat. But the way we present the show and the tools we have to present the show, you know, we don't have to bring in a front cloth, have 40 stagehands change the scenery and then lift the cloth and say, oh, now we're in Baghdad. You know, it sort of happens before your eyes because we have the technology to make it move like a movie. So the cinematic quality has come into the theater. When you work with designers, do you tend to bring that kind of stuff? Oh, I saw I you. I, I always do. I mean, David Rockwell, you know, is is one of my design go-to designers. Greg Barnes, Kenny, uh, Kenny Posner. We meet early, early on on a project and start talking about it. We're working on Pretty Woman, the musical. And we're all going to get together this Friday. And we're a year out. You know, we're a year out. So the process begins very early for me because I feel if you're, you know, you know what it's like. You have to get it into the shop way ahead of time. And the earlier you get it in, sometimes the better deal you get. And I'm always concerned with the budget of a Broadway musical because we're not adding seats in the house. And, you know, one of the great things about Kinky Boots was I took that into consideration. So it has made the show profitable for all of us because... It was a concern, but it also was a solution. I wanted to feel pedestrian in its design and the way we moved the factory. I wanted the, I wanted to give the factory workers something to do. And so that whole idea of being inside the factory and creating the world inside the world was a big part of where we started. I remember actually coming in to see a tech rehearsal and you saw them and you were like, what do you think? And I'm under budget. <laughs> that preview period for you, I always think that's the most, where musicals are really made or in front of an audience. You have so little time. Well, preview out of town, out of town. So do you, do you enjoy that process? I do you do. feel stressed? I do. I really do. I live for, I live for the techni- technical period and the first four weeks out of town because I feel like that's where you really have to be you have to be operating on all cylinders. I'm listening to the audience. I'm taking their response and I am trying to make it a bigger response. I'm trying to get rid of my own thoughts about how to respond and listen to the way other people are responding. And that's a trick I've learned over the years. I didn't, I didn't used to be like that. I didn't ever used to read a review, 
now out of town, I'm dying to read the review because the review will help me make the show better. I wish we got reviews in New York on the first preview, not on opening night, because then I'd have four weeks to make changes. And not all critics are idiots. Actually, most critics have a, a point of view. You know, everyone has a point of view. The question is, is the point of view going to help you or are they getting it at all, you know, what you're trying to do? You obviously have a producer's brain as well. You've worked with so many different producers. I won't ask you to name your favorites, but what are the characteristics you think make a great producer this day and age? I think, well, there's a lot of characteristics, but I think the greatest feeling you can feel from a producer is that they are there to help you make the show great. Nothing else. They're, they're there. We're on the same team and they're there to support you. You know, that is what makes a great producer. That really is. That's the key. I think it's easier or harder for someone to break into the directing, choreographing biz today than it was when you started. I think it's easier right now. I think it's easier. When I, when I broke into choreography, we were well into and coming out of the AIDS crisis, right? So musicals were incredibly expensive then, and they're incredibly, incredibly expensive now. So why would a producer, a producer is frightened to take a chance on somebody who's brand new, whose work isn't established or doesn't have a credential, you know, that and and there were three musicals a year. Don't forget, in 1989 or 1991, we had three musicals. You know, this year, what, last, these past three years, they've been 11 to 13 musicals. So, you know, I'm sorry, Casey can't do all of them, and neither can I, and neither can Kathleen Marshall, and neither can, you know, Josh Rhodes or anybody, you name it. No, we can't do all of them. So you got to get your team together and you got to aim for that goalpost. And it's a little easier because there's nobody available. There's the, the, the regulars may not be available. So you have to go down the pecking order a bit. But that's how we all get our first job. I got my first job because there were four choreographers who said no. So I was the fifth one. I was the lucky one. Okay. My last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin <laughs> comes to visit you and says, Jerry, I want to thank you for your dedication to this business, to the arts, to Broadway Cares. We didn't even talk about your incredible work with Broadway Bears. And how much did I learn as a director choreographer from doing that? Lots. So this genie wants to thank you for all of that, for all the money you raised, for everything you've done, and just your passion for this business. On a side note, I have to digress and say I'll never forget the first rehearsal for the Kinky Boots tour. The tour. <laughs> so you'd already won the Tony Award. I mean, things were good for all of us. And you'd already done the show. And you on that meet and greet day, the, it was you were so excited. It was like you had never seen the show before. It was just the start of an incredible journey. Your positivity in this business is amazing. So the genie wants to thank you for all of that by granting you one wish. Now, we just talked about how positive you are. What's the one thing that drives you so effing crazy about this business that makes you mad, that has you jumping up and down, pounding the desk, throwing things like Michael Bennett or Bob Fosse <laughs> that you would ask this genie to wish away? Please make sure everyone arrives on time. That's it. That's it. That's just my a, only wish. A simple wish. Be on time. Well... 
not only audience members, if you're out there being, you should be on time, but also anyone in a Jerry Mitchell show, you better get your ass to rehearsal on time. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next time and subscribe and leave us a nice, juicy, fat, positive review on iTunes. We'll see you next time. Don't forget, the new year is a great time to check out the ProducersPerspectivePro.com. We've got a whole bunch of new stuff for new members. Go check it out, the ProducersPerspectivePro.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.